Let's take a look back at some coronavirus milestones over the past four months. January 1st, 2020. Dr. Robert Redfield of the CDC is briefed by Chinese colleagues about a cluster of pneumonias of unknown cause in Wuhan, China. February 1st, the eighth confirmed case in the United States as a college student in Massachusetts. More than 300 people are dead in China of a disease named just 10 days later as COVID-19. March 1st, U.S. COVID-19 case totals approach 100, while New York reports its first case. April 1st, more than 1 million people in 171 countries are infected. Global deaths pass the 50,000 mark. Roughly 10 million Americans are out of work, and about 75% of states have some form of stay-at-home order in place. And now, May 1st, we begin a month in which most states will gradually begin lifting stay-at-home orders. When, how, and even why they reopen varies considerably from state to state. I'm John Finnegan, Dean of the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. That the timing, procedures, and reasons for reopening should vary so dramatically across our country poses fascinating questions and unprecedented challenges. Reopening is not a black-and-white decision. It's loaded with controversy, nuance, and uncertainty. And that's what we explore in this podcast. Today is May Day, 2020, and this episode is called Reopening, Navigating to a New Normal. I'm Michael Joyce, host of this podcast, and here's what some Americans across the country have shared with reporters regarding their thoughts on reopening. We want the governor to know that we have a voice too, and we are here, and we don't want to be in lockdown anymore. And I want to go back to work as much as anyone else. I'd like to resume my business, but I also understand that what I do impacts my neighbor and my family and my friends. This is insane. We're here to stand up for our God-given rights under the Constitution of the United States of America. It's just reckless and irresponsible to go back to business as usual. Everybody open together. They can't suppress us if we all open at the same time. And here's a glimpse into just how differently reopening is being handled at various state and municipal levels. You'll hear the voices of the mayors of Las Vegas and Atlanta, as well as the governors of New York and Maryland. What all of us are going to need before we can try to get people back to work is uh, more testing, uh, more ability to do contact tracing. We're going to have to make sure that we have the hospital capabilities and all the PPEs. And uh, really, those are the kind of four building blocks. We offer to be a control group. Anybody who knows anything about statistics knows that, for instance, you have a vaccine. You're offering the the citizens of Las Vegas to be a control group. Before you start reopening, the state and the regional hospitalization rate must be in decline for 14 days. Reopening Georgia, the process begins today. Businesses including gyms, fitness centers, nail and hair salons, and tattoo parlors set to reopen. They've been shut down for less than a month. There is nothing essential about going to a bowling alley or getting a manicure in the middle of a pandemic. No wonder many people feel overwhelmed and confused when it comes to reopening. Where does one turn for clarity and sanity with such a wide range of policies and opinions? That's what leadership is about. Dr. Rebecca Wirtz is an infectious disease and public health informatics specialist who teaches at the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. Leadership 
in my opinion, in uncertainty is probably the truest test of leadership. And it requires a leader to assess the facts and the landscape and craft a narrative which is grounded in truth, but which encompasses not knowing, which encompasses uncertainty. Reconciling uncertainty, reconciling polarity, and helping create a a plan and a vision that people can agree to and follow, even if they don't necessarily share the political views or the scientific views of the leader. One of those leaders has been Jan Malcolm. She's commissioner of Minnesota's Department of Health. She's been praised for her prudent counsel to the governor and her data-driven and level-headed leadership. A good person to ask, just what determines when and how we reopen? Well, I think in, in Minnesota, Governor Walls is trying to take a really balanced and holistic approach. Certainly, we're aware of and tracking many of the same indicators that some of the national recommendations around phases of reopening or gating criteria, some people refer to it as. And we're certainly tracking those in Minnesota, but we have not adopted some of the metrics, uh, the specific metrics around 14 days of of decline, uh, for example, in the total case count, because we are very well aware of the limitations on, on just looking at laboratory confirmed cases as the metric and why we're trying to be a little bit more perhaps nuanced and more more focused on uh, mitigation measures than some of those absolute uh, metrics. These gating criteria, co-drafted by the CDC and the White House, are the prerequisites states should meet before reopening. Although they may appear clear-cut enough, they may not always be clear-cut in practice. They rely heavily on documenting downward trajectories in both COVID-like symptoms and positive tests. But not all COVID-like symptoms represent COVID-19 disease, and testing is neither 100% accurate or even close to being widely available. That's part of what Commissioner Malcolm is alluding to when she mentions the limitations of using laboratory-confirmed cases as a criteria for phased reopening. Beyond absolute metrics, there are pragmatic questions that need to be answered. Certain settings, whether those be workplace settings or social settings, you know, looking at how would this proposed um, move, uh, if you will, affect the possible spread of the disease? How prepared are we to do the testing and tracing and isolation and quarantine of those who who are exposed or may become exposed as a result of opening up some of the restrictions? Um, How prepared are our hospitals? So I think we're looking at uh, a pretty comprehensive set of, of factors. And there are some serious considerations that Malcolm cannot overlook as the state's health commissioner, but are easy for many of us to neglect. Very importantly, how, how are we keeping an eye on other public health issues in addition to COVID-19? I mean, we're certainly the, the focus on that is understandable, but we're watching with alarm some of the impacts on other healthcare metrics that are going really unattended to and things that are increasing like uh, mental health concerns, strokes, heart attacks, you know, people not getting care that they need, uh, not getting care that may have long-term health impacts. Another question that's easy to overlook but is vital to any discussion regarding reopening is this. What about having to close down again? Again, Dr. Rebecca Wirtz of the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. Identifying an early outbreak after we loosen social distancing is kind of like a brush fire. They're blown embers which will set off fires at a distance from the main conflagration. We need to be able to identify those hotspots 
as quickly as possible and have a spark team, case investigators, testers, contact tracers, assistance with proper isolation and quarantine measures, alternate housing if necessary, supplemental staffing, and jump on those sparks and extinguish them. Yeah, that's a, I like that analogy too, or that image. That is exactly the goal, to find things fast and keep them from spreading. Again, Jan Malcolm of the Minnesota Department of Health. We think we've got a really good plan to ramp up testing to the levels that we will need to meet both clinical practice goals and population health surveillance goals, as well as supporting Mayo and the university to continue to kind of lead on the research front to help us understand the best use of testing. Uh, how do you use testing in a smart way? Not just test for to test sake, but uh, because it's giving you information that you actually need for clinical or surveillance purposes. At the beginning of this podcast, you heard the voices of some passionate Americans, some asking for no more lockdown and a return to work, others saying not so fast. But the elephant in the room was a dichotomy, some might say a false dichotomy, pitting public health against our economy. So early on in the epidemic, we were sort of told that there are basically two choices. Do we save lives or do we save the economy? Dr. Kumi Smith is an epidemiologist at the University of Minnesota School of Public Health who studies how infectious diseases move through communities. The models now have become a little bit more nuanced, and they realize that the trade-off between a death toll and the economic turmoil of shutdowns is actually not that politically simple. The economic turmoil and the mental breakdown you know, that would come with a month-long shutdown are no small things. These are really serious consequences. But no one is arguing that massive COVID-related deaths is also acceptable. So the question is, is there a middle ground that we could reach? A recent article has gained some recognition from Dr. Smith and many others who closely follow the transition from lockdown to reopening. It's called The Hammer and the Dance, and it was written by author Thomas Poyo and can be found on Medium.com. The hammer is what we're trying to accomplish with the lockdown aggressively hammer down the caseload with social distancing and meticulous hygiene. Then comes the dance, gradually relaxing some distancing measures and slowly resuming some activities. But we describe it as a dance because we do this at the same time that we watch what's happening to death rates. So we let some activities resume, but we also really closely monitor death rates. And if those start going up again, then we have to retreat and go back to staying at home. And that part of it is going to repeat over and over. So we dance out and then we dance back in and then we dance back out and dance in. So the hammer and the dance approach is a compromise that was born out of this really tough trade-off. The hammer and the dance allows us to both use social distancing, but to try to find a middle ground where we can have a little bit more normalcy, a little bit more economic activity without this leading to an immediate rise in death. Two important points here. First, we're still hammering, and this dance is going to last a while. Second, that middle ground will be constantly shifting and not easy to negotiate. As more of us return to work, it's imperative our workplaces are safe. Not just for us, but so we don't create hot spots that spark brush fires that have us dancing back into lockdown. This is where industrial hygienists like Dr. Sue Arnold come in. 
Dr. Arnold is an assistant professor at the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. Read her bio and get, get this. It says she, quote, studies exposures, especially in unprecedented scenarios, otherwise known as the right person for the right job at the right time. We want to safely reopen these workplaces. We, and for essential workers who are already at work, we want to ensure that we're doing all we can to make those workplaces as safe and coronavirus risk free as we possibly can. That's important to people like Sarah Wolfcha and her employees. Sarah is the executive director of Children's Dental Services in Minneapolis, which, ironically enough, was founded after the 1918 flu pandemic. That pandemic probably killed nearly one million Americans, no one knows for sure, and left thousands of children as orphans without access to health care. Now, the nonprofit clinic is one of the state's largest providers of dental care for low-income families. Because they provide emergency services, they were allowed to run a skeleton crew during the lockdown. But Sarah still had to face cutting 80% of the staff. Then last week, they got some payroll protection, and she was able to double the staff. So her story is not only one of frontline providers during the lockdown, but also really captures the challenges of reopening in an incredibly articulate and touching way. I want to share it with you, unabridged, as she told it to me, because it's one of those pandemic stories that will echo, and should echo, for a long time to come. Well, I have to say that it has been like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. I feel like I'm playing God, which is incredibly weighty and uncomfortable, to say the least. To begin with, when we first you know, had to make decisions really quickly about significantly reducing staff, people were just devastated that they were being furloughed and losing their source of income during this time and really losing a sense of being kind of you know, moored to their existence. And then as the situation has evolved, I mean, I've been scrambling to bring people back, not only to give them back their livelihoods, but also to do everything we can to expand emergency care. And as I've offered people their positions back, as upset as they were to lose their job, they've been equally upset to come back. They've said to me, you know, we we have unemployment now, and we actually have an extra $600 a week. We're comfortable. We're taking care of. Meanwhile, we are watching this epidemic unfold all day long on the news, and we don't want to go back. We don't want to die. We don't want to expose our children, our families, our elders. And so I really had to wrestle with what is the right decision here, because when we provide emergency dental care, that means that we are keeping patients with dental needs, keeping them out of frontline emergency care settings. They, they're not going to, you know, Hennepin County Medical Center emergency room or urgent cares. We're keeping them out of those overtaxed environments where they're more likely to be exposed to COVID and where they will take scarce medical resources and we're caring for them in a much safer and more targeted setting. But it also means that I'm making the decision to expose people, staff, folks who I've known and worked with for years, friends who are, I'm making decisions that they will be frontline providers. And 
so it's it's scary. I've been really conflicted, and yet I think we're doing the right thing. But I gotta say, it's really given me a lot of pause, a lot of sleepless nights. It's been really, really hard. This podcast is a production of the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. For more information on coronavirus, as well as some links we highly recommend, visit our website at sph.umn.edu. You can also subscribe to this series, Health in All Matters, through Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review and a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Of note, yesterday, Governor Tim Waltz extended Minnesota's stay-at-home order to May 18th. But starting Monday, May 4th, businesses that can move sales transactions outside the store, with careful social distancing and curbside pickup of purchases, will be allowed to do so. Today is May 1st, 2020, and the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases worldwide is roughly 3.3 million. About a third of those cases are in the United States. Thanks for listening, and take good care of each other.